Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Quota Crusher podcast. I'm Mary Grothy, CEO of Sales BQ. And today I'm joined by somebody I'm actually pretty crazy about. I hadn't heard of the guy, apparently like millions of people had, so I've been living underneath a rock and I'll take ownership of that, but I was on his podcast and that podcast went out in April and I enjoyed the conversation so much. I said, we need you on our podcast immediately because I believe there's tremendous value that's about to be unfolded for all of our listeners. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Andy Paul, who is a podcast host, an author, and he's a sales evangelist with Ring DNA. This guy is doing it all. Welcome, Andy. Oh, Mary, thank you very much. Maybe the best introduction I've ever had. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's what I was going for. I aim to please all well, the you, time. Now- You did that. You can't let anybody down. Yeah, no, don't let no. them down now. Okay. Set the bar high. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, hey, I did some poking around on your website. I always want to make sure that when we bring forth a guest, what we're bringing forth is powerful and purposeful and will make their lives better because they just spent 25 minutes listening to you. And something that yes. stood out to me that I was pulling from the content is that salespeople miss opportunities with their buyers. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's a matter of really when you engage, right? I mean, I think that we've had the sort of this sea change where for a while we we're also hung up on inbound leads and nothing wrong with inbound leads. I mean, I love inbound leads, but you sort of miss some of the opportunity to really get in and help the customer sort of decide what the problem is they're trying to solve. If you can get in earlier before they've decided to reach out for you. And, and this becomes a, a critical issue because for sellers, I think we've gotten so automated in some respects in the way we sell and the way we set up our processes that what we're trying to do is we're trying we're focused right at the tail end of the customer's sort of decision making process when they're trying to decide who to who to make this change with right if you assume that selling or buying buying is an act of change right so they're trying to make a decision who to do that with but the critical choice they've already made prior to that is how am i going to solve this problem that i have and they identify the various options they have for solving it. And then they make a choice. Well, I want to solve it this way. And that's the first decision to make. The second decision is, well, who I'm going to solve it with. We want to have an influence over that first choice they make in terms of defining their options and saying, how do we want to solve this problem? And so too often now sellers are just focused on trying to be involved in that decision about who they want to solve it with. And at that point, you're, just, you're sort of reduced to just competing on features and, and price. And that's a bad place to be. So if you have the opportunity, you want to be involved earlier. Yes, you do. And there's something huge in what you said. So you've closed about 600 million in your 40 mm. years in this profession. And there's something to be said about that because if it's an inbound lead, it's a trip up for a lot of salespeople. And you said something that I want to make sure the listeners heard. You have more favor when it's an outbound, when you are engaging the prospect when they haven't, their problem hasn't reached the state where it's so bad, they've already actively researched dozens of options and they're 80% of the way before it becomes an inbound lead and talking to you. When you're able to do the outbound or source the conversation yourself or just get in early in the process, however that comes about, you're able to have more powerful conversations. And if you can co-create the solution with the buyer based on phenomenal discovery conversation early, you're taking it to a whole new level. And so this is a big setup for fail on an inbound lead. I have seen this time 
time and time and time again that people that are used to working on those inbounds, they're not qualifying really what has happened in the initial 80% of the work the buyer's already done before having a conversation with you. So what do you recommend, Andy, when I have um, a BDR or a salesperson or anyone, especially in that front end that's first time fielding those inbound leads, how do they approach it the right way to have the right conversation out of the gate to set this sales opportunity up for success? Well, I think one of the things they have to do from a perspective standpoint is, is understand that that though the customer is expressing an interest in buying a product sort of like yours, that they're not really qualified to buy your product per se. And this is a, a thing I've written and spoken about for years is that there's really two types of qualification. Is, is One is, and this is the way most sellers do it, is yeah, I talk to them and yeah, they're interested in buying something sort of like what we have, you know, our category of product. But everybody's got a unique value proposition, hopefully, that they're using to sell to the customer. You have to qualify them to that value proposition. You know, if they don't qualify and they don't see the value and you can't quantify the value for what it is you're bringing to the table, then they're not qualified. What happens with inbound leads is they just get, yeah, well, they're sort of interested in what we're doing and they pass it on to the salespeople. And then the salespeople, too often these days, sort of take that as qualification rather than more going into more depth qualification saying, is this really worth my time, this prospect, to invest my time in this opportunity? And you look at the close rates and you look at the win rates and the answer for the most part is, yeah, we're not making good decisions at that. You know, because we have a limited amount of time to spend. We all know that as salespeople. When I was selling, carrying a bag years years ago, but even in my own business, is, is I had to be ruthless about deciding where I wanted to invest my time. Because if I wasn't going to get a return on that investment, I was going to shut it down as soon as I could. Which is the right thing to do. And unfortunately, we've worked with so many salespeople that haven't come to that conclusion yet. And I even know back when I was selling to and carrying a bag, I wanted to look like I was in a great position to my manager, meaning I wanted my pipeline to look remarkable at all times. So even though I had good discernment internally, knowing, hey, I've got fluff in here, I knew it. And I knew that I was on the race and the mission to replace that revenue because I had unqualified buyers sitting in there. But because whether it was an inbound lead or it was sourced through the network or networking or something, and there was some viability and they, the prospect was hanging on to having conversations, I would keep it in there until I had something to replace it. And if you think about how many reps don't even do that, that they're hanging on to anything, putting in their pipeline and they're forecasting it, that's not good. Sales managers are not set up for success to then report those numbers up even further when salespeople aren't right about the viability of what's in their pipeline. And so my encouragement based on what Andy just said is have the discernment to know if it's qualified or unqualified. And it's okay to disqualify prospects. It's okay to say that these people aren't the right fit. But I think that a lot of salespeople, because sales is hard, FYI, when you are you, you have that revenue in the pipeline, it's so hard to let it go, even though you know your but, chance but not, of actually it, getting that business. Yeah, but it's not real. And that's, to your point, it's, it's just not real. And so when you go into a company, when I did and had my consulting business, is, yeah, the first thing I'd do is, is I'd walk in, and I was always hired by the CEO to do this and come in, and we'd look at the pipeline, and typically we'd reduce it by 75%. Just take all the crap out. Because you, there's no purpose in fooling yourself, right? And if you're trying to reset your sales organization, reset your own personal sales process, there's no benefit to you from trying to kid yourself and fool yourself. 
you gotta be brutally honest, just slice it. And so once you do that, then you have the opportunity to say, okay, well, how are we gonna reset our processes? How are we gonna reset our skills training to teach people how to really prospect, how to do real discovery, to understand that people have a true need for what we're selling, not just something like what we're selling, but what we're selling, and, and amplify that up through the, the pipeline. One of the consequences of that is you do that really right is that you can run with a thinner pipeline because you're going to close a higher percentage of it. And you also know that coming on the front end, we're doing a much better job of qualifying people that have a high probability of closing and buying our product. So I, I through my career, I sort of op always operated the opposite, which was yeah, a relatively thin pipeline. Sold a ton of stuff because if they got to a point in my, my pipeline, I was committing to my manager is going to close. I was committing that I was going to win it. Not this was a close. I was going to win. And if I wasn't going to win, it wasn't, wasn't there. So obviously I didn't win everything, but I won a pretty high fraction of my deals. But you have to have that. This comes with confidence, I think, because a lot of it is just being brutally honest with yourself. And I had a, my first manager was that way. I mean, he just, he was just so rigorous. I mean, a guy I learned so much from. It's just that if, if there's no point in it. These people aren't going to buy from us. That was that sort of the thing, you know, going my, sort of my first like deal reviews with him. And, and he's like, yeah, they're not going to buy. It's like, well, what, what, wait, 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 what do you mean? And then he said, well, answer these questions for me, right? And you sort of go through it. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, they're, yeah, they're talking to me. But we fool ourselves so often by saying, and you, you referred to that, right? We continue to have conversations with them. And salespeople fool themselves, say, just because somebody's talking to me, they must still be interested which is not the case at all, right? They could have a lot of reasons why they want to keep on talking to you. One is, well, we need to, I need to be able to tell my boss I looked at three vendors. You're not even in the running yet. They're still going to talk to you. There's a way to find that out. Oh, right? they'll, Questions. Yes, and they'll gladly use up as much of your time as you're willing to give them. And they will also see how far they can take you down on price. Because well, then they leverage. can take your proposal back exactly to the to the vendor that they actually want to use. Oh, I had that happen to me, Andy. I was selling payroll and HR services, and I went in on a deal, and I could tell in the first discovery conversation that I was the third proposal, and they were so disengaged in the conversation, and it was hilarious sitting there. And I finally just stepped back in my chair and I said, "I'm the third proposal, aren't I? Like this is <laughs> such a waste of my time." They were just so disengaged. And giving me whatever I needed to get the proposal produced. And they just kept pushing towards that. And I had three of them sitting in front of me. They were not answering my questions. They were just pushing it along. And I just sat back in my chair and I said, I'm the third proposal, aren't I? And they agreed. And I said, okay, well, who are you? Who have you decided to, who have you decided to, who are you leaning towards? And they were selecting my competitor. And I said, you know what? Let me put together a proposal for you at like a 50% discount that we wouldn't have honored anyway. Gave it to them just to make my competitor have to drop their price. And I thought that was funny at the time, probably. <laughs> not a good ethical practice but I was just frustrated that my time was knowingly being wasted and so but yet I had the discernment and I knew and how many people don't know or they're not willing to believe that that might even be the truth right so I think that you probably do and did when you're selling same thing I always did which was I didn't give proposals to people that I wasn't going to win so I mean, that's, you think about that. It's just a practice, right? Depending on what, what level of product you're selling. But even when I was selling multi-million dollar things, communication systems, I wasn't going to give a proposal to someone that I didn't know we weren't going to win. Why? Right? What's the point? If you don't know at that point, 
if you don't know at that point, the point you're giving a proposal, unless it's you know an RFP. But I mean, if, if you've been working the deal, you don't know at that point whether you're going to win. What are you doing? And, and so let's back into this because I did the exact same thing. I shifted this in my career. I had five years with the payroll and HR company. I took a three-year break as an entrepreneur and consulting. I went back to the payroll and HR company from 2014 to 2017. And during that time, I was a lot smarter as a salesperson. And this was a practice that I started implementing was not giving people proposals unless I was thought I was positioned to win. And so I brought in a few techniques to be able to do it. And one of the questions was, what do you need to see in the proposal that you haven't already heard today? Because for me, I wanted to express to them how much time it was going to take to put that together. And I would pre-validate the pricing and the investment. I would talk through the numbers. So I had my pricing matrix up on my sheet and I would verbally talk through and get buy-in that they were willing, that that was the right level, that they were willing to make that investment. We talked through the ROI, quantifiable ROI that was attached to the pains and problems that we were solving. Mm -hmm. And then I was talking about timeline. I was already had given them references. We'd already spoken about implementation and what that process was going to look like. There was not anything physically written in the proposal that we had not already discussed yep. and yep. gained agreement exactly. on. And then took it even to one step further. The, the proposal came a formality of a signature because we already had the agreement to do business together. Yep. And sometimes, depending on the level that you're selling to, you do still need to get the proposal put together to um, take it to that final executive signer or whoever it might be that may not have been in the process in some situations, right. that's, that's okay. Right. If you've qualified that and you know that you do have the, the, the decision maker, just maybe not potentially the executive signer and they need it from a formality purpose, but other times it's just, it could be a complete waste of your time because they might also be fooling you and not giving you that full commitment. And if you, are getting being asked for the proposal and they're not able to give you the verbal commitment yet you've most likely not done your homework on decision process and not uncovered all the decision makers so yeah. you misstepped in your discovery so tell me name two or three things that salespeople can do to position themselves just like i spoke about to be able to get that verbal commitment on a proposal before preparing it what have you done or what do you teach that allows salespeople to do that well, you, you mentioned one of them which is quantifying the ROI, if somebody has the desired outcome from their investment in your product or service is they have a goal in mind, right? That could be, I want to increase market share. I want to increase my sales X percent, increase the bottom line X percent, whatever that is, they have to quantify what that means to them in dollars. And if they haven't done that yet, then they haven't taken that mental step internally to say, look, we've put together our internal business plan to justify this investment. They're not ready to make that decision. So that is one really key thing. You, once you've identified what their desired outcomes are, they, if you can't get them to the point where they will quantify what that, the dollar impact is for them. For me, that was always a critical milestone. If they weren't at that point, then I still had some questions to answer um, and questions to ask and, and to answer for them to make them feel comfortable doing that. So to me, that's, that's a critical one. Um, you know, the other one that sort of precedes that is knowing what this desired outcome is. You know, too often you get to a proposal and I'll ask a rep or a seller and say, okay, well, what do they really want to achieve with this? You know, what's the, I call it the one thing. What's the one thing that stands out that they really want to do? Because yeah, they may have a list of 20 things that they've told you are important, but there's always one thing that's more important than all the others to somebody who's the critical decision maker, stakeholder. You need to know what that one thing is. And you need to get to quantify what the impact in dollars is going to be of that one thing, of them achieving that one thing. A, if you don't know it, and B, if you can't quantify it, you're not ready. And you made another point that was really, really critical. It's too often sellers go into this idea of 
generating a proposal as an educational document. And to the point you made very clear, and I was just expressing this to someone a week ago, or two weeks ago on a podcast, is they shouldn't be learning anything new in your proposal. If there's something in your proposal that hasn't been surfaced before, that they're not familiar with, that they're not aware of, that's really problematic. Because then you're, they're not ready to make that decision. In fact, you've given them an excuse not to make a decision because, oh, well, we need to learn more about this. Ooh, that right there needs to go in the highlight reel. You absolutely nailed that thought. They're not ready to make a decision if they still are in a position where they need to learn more. Holy smoke, that's your, uh, that's your ninja comment of the day, right. <laughs> FYI. Yeah, let's, let's, let's highlight that. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing that on LinkedIn. I love that. Here's the, here's the deal, salespeople. If the proposal is serving as education on how you're going to solve their problems and get them to a great outcome, you haven't done your job and it's premature to be putting a proposal in front of them. If you need education material in the form of collateral or a, a demonstration or a solution presentation or whatever it is, that is in the middle of the sales cycle. That is not reliant on putting that in a proposal. So that's a big wake up call, I think, for a lot of people. Also, oh, yes, Andy, go ahead. Well, one other point along with this, and this is sort of runs counter to a lot of conventional wisdom about sales. But I had a boss who, early boss who taught me this. And we were, again, we're selling large, complex things. But you know, what we'd do is he used to say, quote, early, quote, often. And so what you do is you use quotes, budgetary quotes and so on, as a discovery tool. Because what you're saying is, we've had a certain number of conversations. Here's what we think in the form of this quote, the budgetary quote of what this might look like. And then it surfaces all the issues that are unresolved on the buyer side. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? What about this? What about that? Da, 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 da. It's like, oh, okay, making a list. This is things they have their, their questions about that we might not have known. And so it's, it's kind of unconventional. And a lot of people really hate the idea of this, but it can be very effective. Well, it can be, especially if you have an economical buyer or an economic buyer, excuse me, or you have a, an analytical type buyer, they actually can't process the information and get closer to making a decision until they have that data. And mm -hmm. I know that there's uh, been some sales trading advice out in the past and I heard it early in my sales career, never answer, never talk about price. Or if you bring in price early, the rest of your sales conversation will be about price. It's well, crazy. there's something different between price and budget and investment and if you're positioning talking about money like it is math and science, and it's not this emotional big ask at the end of a sales process, sorry, then it's a really amazing conversation. I need water. You can talk. Well, that's right. Well, <laughs> <Excuse me. laughs> that's why. Is well, I think this is what people need to understand, and sellers need to understand when they're told, "Don't talk about price too early." You gonna survive? Okay. Is <laughs> Mary is having her a coughing fit? Is is Think about the, the conversation we have around value. Now, value can have multiple dimensions, right? But one of the dimensions of value is, ROI, is, is based on dollars. Well, someone can't do a value calculation in that regard if they don't want your prices. And so I want to start having that conversation about ROI as soon as I possibly can. I'm not afraid of talking about price because, again, how are they going to understand the total picture, the value of what we're selling, unless we talk about price? So I advocate the opposite. I think you bring price into the equation, into the conversation as soon as you can. And if you're afraid of talking about it, then you don't think the buyer senses that? They sense your defensiveness about talking about price, your reluctance to talk about price. That tweaks their curiosity and they're wondering, well, what's wrong here, right? Why don't they want to talk about their price? 
what's wrong with their price. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, some of the best sales conversations that I've heard have been bringing up the budget conversation in the in the very first discovery conversation as one of your line item questions. If you can't qualify and understand what the prospect is willing to invest or spend to fix the problem, why are you continuing forth through three more steps of your sales process? What a waste of time, in my opinion. Yes. And by the way, who wants to set themselves up to deliver a proposal and have that be the first time that they're seeing the price and then go, I'm sorry, that's more than I was looking to spend or that's too much or actually it's just it's a little bit more than your competitor, so we're going to go with them. That is a terrible time to start talking about money, yet how many yeah. salespeople wait until that step to be talking about money? Well, wouldn't you think that early in your conversation, you want to, with the buyers, you want to say, well, yeah, we've done been in similar situations with similar customers, and this is the ROI that they experienced using our, our solution. And so I said, oh, that's interesting. Well, if you're going to start talking about ROI, ROI comes from a price, right? That's a great lead in to start talking about your price. Well, this is what their situation was. They had, you know, X number of these things. We proposed X number of this because of the requirements. You put a context into it. Suddenly the buyer understands the context of your pricing. You want that early, right? You don't want them thinking about, yeah. oh, they've, they've told me all these wonderful things. I wonder what it's going to cost me. As opposed to having them think all along, well, I know roughly this is what's going to cost based on what they've told me before. And they're always thinking about, oh, yeah, what's the, what's the ROI? How can we set this up to maximize our ROI on this investment? You want them thinking about the business, not being afraid of what's going to be the big surprise at the end of the rainbow. That's exactly right. And I've heard that saying, I'm forgive you, you probably know who has said it. I don't. But price is only an issue in the absence of value. Is that what the saying is? And in that is, if you think about work with your prospect to justify the value. And in fact, if you have a human to human, pretty normal, casual conversation, it's not this weird buildup, like what's at the end of the rainbow? And then oh, I'm going to float this out there and I'm going to see what happens. No, why are we doing that with our pricing? For me, I talk about it early and often because yep. some people flat out cannot afford what I sell. And because of that, I do not even want to spend any minutes of my time because there are dozens of companies out there that can't afford it. And I would rather spend my time with a qualified buyer because nothing sounds worse to me with a jam-packed schedule of going through an entire sales process to find out that they truly cannot afford. Some companies out there, some buyers out there truly cannot afford what you're selling, even if they can justify that there's an ROI and it makes sense to spend that kind of money. Some of them truly just don't have the cash or the ability to do it. And so, or they may have to wait till next budget season and get it built in or they're going to have to pull Absolutely. from somewhere else and that could take time or they have to prioritize and do this other implementation first. But if you're not asking these questions, then that then it's on you. You're missing the opportunity with your buyer. And that is the whole theme of this podcast is it's on you to have these conversations early and often in the sales process. Right. And so think about this is, is if for me as, as a seller and as a, a sales manager, sales leader, you know, the worst of all possible outcomes at the end of a deal is the customer decides to do nothing, right? You've been, I'd rather lose the deal, right? Because then I'll know at least that they were qualified to buy. So you look at that sort of the first hurdle in terms of wasting time with people is if they're not going to quantify the outcomes as we talked about before, they're not ready to make a decision. So that should be a, a warning sign to you, right? And if you can't get them to that point, that's fine. Sometimes people are just going to stay still, stay engaged. If you think they're a good prospect, keep nurturing it, stay engaged, provide them value. Maybe a year from now, six months from now, they'll be ready. But don't force it to a, you know, to an, an end just so you can tell your boss, well, we took it all the way to the end and they're just not ready to move. 
to me, that was the worst of all, right? I'd rather have a hard-fought competitive battle, and I lost fair and square, but they were qualified to buy. Then at least I know, man, I could, things I could have done better to win, but I in a net, it wasn't a waste of my time. Yes, that is a very good realization that a competitive battle in the end and losing feels a lot better than going through an entire process and just being stalled out with indecision. And I mean, you should have known that early and often. Mm -hmm. What are your favorite key qualifiers to pull out? Like if you can pick four or five, it's even that many, but areas that of every discovery, what are what do you want the salesperson to be able to go back and tell the manager of, hey, here's how I know this person's qualified to buy. Simplify it into those key key items. Well, I alluded to it before. For me, there's there's always this one thing. And you just need to be able to find out what the one thing is. And this is this is not necessarily easy at all times because this really depends on having the right connection and relationships with people so they'll feel comfortable you know you have to trust build up they have the comfort level of answering the questions that you ask and providing this information i mean, just give you an example is, is you know early in my career i was selling computer systems to small and mid-sized businesses for accounting applications and went through this tough competitive battle at the time this was you know a quarter million dollar system and today's dollars is over a million and and their construction company doing a full suite of, of accounting applications. And we went through this rigorous demonstration. We demonstrated all these applications, you know, accounts payable, accounts receivable, you know, construction, job cost accounting, blah, 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 blah. And I go back into the customer. We got the deal. And I go back in after, I don't know, six months and looking at his operation and only running one of the applications. Just doing billing. That's all they're doing. And I said, the guy's name was Frank. I said, Frank, what's going on here? I mean, you're just doing billing. He goes, well, that's all we really needed. I mean, this is what's paying for the system. I said, but you, oh put us through the, you put us through this whole thing. He said, well, yeah, other people were interested. They thought maybe we might want to do it someday. But, you know, they had that one thing. And I, and I this came across a couple of different times in my career. I was like, oh, okay. I think everybody's got one thing. And you just need to find out what that one thing is that's really driving that decision, even though there's, you know, multiple things I'm sure they want to solve as part of the problem. One thing is more important than the others, and generally to one or two key people that are driving that decision. So you need to find out what that one thing is and who cares the most about it. And then that's who you want to focus yes. your efforts on. Good. So for sales managers that are listening to this, this is your practice right now is when you do your next deal reviews with your salespeople is to start implementing this and asking about the one thing and seeing how clear the salesperson is on what's driving this whole mm -hmm. decision, what's behind mm -hmm. it. And I think that if the sales managers can hold the salespeople accountable to this practice, and even if they don't know, but having the salesperson in that next conversation with their prospect is really uncovering this. And I think that there are ways to pull it in, even if the deal's pretty far down the line, is to go back in that next uh, scheduled conversation that you have, because I'm sure every salesperson knows they should always have scheduled next steps. So I'm sure mm -hmm. your next meeting is not, we'll touch base in a couple of weeks. You have a right. date and time secured on the calendar, right? But to go into that conversation and to say, you know, I've been reflecting on the conversations we've had over the last three weeks as we've been working on this project together. And I think it would be helpful for me, Mr. Prospect, if you can just boil it down for me. What's the one thing of all the items that we spoke about, of all the reasons why it might be good, make sense for us to work together. You tell me, what's the one thing that's driving this the most for you? Mm -hmm. Do you think, Andy, that it's appropriate to ask the buyer the question, the prospect the question, that point blank, or is there a better way to do it? No, I think that point blank is perfect. 
right? I mean, just say, hey, okay. we're, you know, we've gotten to this point. We're still a little unclear to us. You know, what's really driving this decision for you? Right, because you've, okay. you know, you've laid out a, a number of things, but yeah, what's the one thing that's really, really the most important thing you need to solve? What's going to drive the ROI on this? Because you know, it's like ROI is not going to be driven by a broad spectrum of things. It's going to be one or two things that are the most important. Find the one thing. Brilliant. I love it. Look, this is super impactful for our listeners. I know that they're going to love it and they have to understand. I've said before, the deals are won or lost in discovery. Mm -hmm. And I believe what we've brought forth, they are 100%. They're not lost in the demo. They're not lost with the proposal being delivered. You lost it early and it just goes back to the theme that you and I spoke about today is you're missing opportunity with your buyers. Where are you missing them? And salespeople, it's on you. You have to own it. This has been brilliant. Now, Andy, you have on andypaul.com on your website, you actually have a free resource about having better discovery conversations, right? It's like a, it's a video that's right on there that people can get. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, the only reason I'm hesitating is we're changing things up a little bit, but, but, Got yeah, it. but yeah. Um, yeah. So as we mentioned before is, is before we came on the air is, is so my, my podcast, which people can find the archive on my podcast, andypaul.com, uh, at least now, but that's going to be transitioning because my podcast was acquired recently, which was a exciting event. Um, yeah. Uh, still selling all these after all these years. Um, so our, our new partner on that is a company called Ring DNA, and uh, Ring DNA is this incredible sales engagement, sales enablement platform for yeah, inbound, outbound sales teams. And so, yeah, we're partnering to continue to expand uh, the podcast, and some of the resources that are on antipaul.com will be on ringdna.com, uh, perhaps even when this, uh, this episode airs. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, and in full transparency, for those of you that aren't familiar with the podcast world, sometimes you record things and they don't get released till a couple of months later. Sometimes, so there are yes. some changes coming. So when this thing gets released, if anything that I just said is confusing to you and you can't find it, send us a message, either me or Andy, and we will point you in the right direction to get to, to get yeah, access to the tools. Yeah, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, it's the uh, real Andy Paul is is the part of LinkedIn that you're most uh, important. And same on Twitter, real Andy Paul, or you can just email me at andy at andypaul.com. And yeah, we'll help sure, make sure you find it. But yeah, we are going to rename the podcast Accelerate. It's been great for well over 750 episodes now and, and millions of downloads and um, getting ready to take it up to the next level again. So we're going to actually be start doing more episodes per week. We've we started the podcast doing multiple episodes a week. We came back to one, um, but yeah, we're going to start expanding again with our, I said, our wonderful partners, Ring DNA, and and uh, really excited about going forward. I'm so impressed. I'm so glad that we met. This has been so fun to be on your podcast, and now you're on ours. And I, I know you said it on your podcast. I think we should do this again sometime, Andy. What, what do you think? I think we should. I think we should. And I encourage people that are listening to your podcast to keep listening because I think uh, you've got a good, strong voice in sales and people need to hear it. I love it. Thank you. FYI, I paid him to say that. Um, awesome. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's put a bow on this episode today of the Quota Crusher podcast. Edie, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And for everyone else, don't forget to go to salesbq.com. The site was refreshed in April of this year. We now have a sales training room. It's completely free. The amount of webinars, pre-recorded content, blogs, audio, 
every way that you learn and want to consume and become a better salesperson is there. It's available to you to help move the needle in your sales career. Thank you for joining us.